Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everybody? It's DJ Hamilton, and welcome to the second episode of the DJ Sports Show. I would like to quickly shout out and thank everybody for listening to my first episode and giving me feedback. The feedback has been overwhelmingly positive, and I'll take everything you guys say into consideration and try to improve. I'd like to thank you guys again for taking time out of your day to listen to my podcast, whether it was for 40 minutes or just five minutes of it. I truly appreciate you guys. Thank you. The first thing I want to talk about today is the NFL cutting its preseason. So the NFL has decided to cut week one and week four of its preseason. To give, so they cut it week one to give players and coaches a longer practice period before they play their first game. And decided to cut week four because they decided that's the most useless, useless week of preseason. So players don't have to worry about the preseason or another risk of getting injured before the regular season starts. They also decided to cancel its Hall of Fame game that was scheduled for August 8th and postpone its Hall of Fame enshrinement. NFL recently just had the signing of Cam Newton, former league MVP of the Carolina Panthers, who has recently signed a one-year deal with the New England Patriots, who have dominated the NFL for the last two decades because of Tom Brady. But with Tom Brady leaving the Patriots this year for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they got their top their Tom Brady replacement, you could call it, in Cam Newton. I feel like Cam Newton has been disrespected over the past couple of years because he has to had to deal with injuries from having foot surgery and shoulder surgery over the past couple of years. People have been counting him out, doubting him, naysayers saying he's damaged goods. He can't do this anymore. He's not as good as he used to be. He's a backup quarterback now. I feel like he's going to prove all the doubters wrong this year and come out with a vengeance. If the Patriots get a healthy, full healthy Cam Newton near MVP form, they have a chance to win the AFC East this year. Because when you think about it, the AFC East, the only real challenger is the Buffalo Bills, and they're not even all the way there yet. Because Josh Allen, he's still a bit inconsistent, and he still has something to prove. He still needs to continue to get better. The Jets are no good. And, yeah, there's no team that could really challenge them in AFC East. Let me, let me give you guys a little rundown of the awards he has won his NFL career so far. He's a three-time Pro Bowler of 2011, 2013, and 2015. He was first team All-Pro in his MVP season back in 2015. Won the NFL MVP in 2015, NFL Offensive Player in 2015, Burt Bell Award in 2015. He was the Pepsi NFL Rookie of the Year in 2011, NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year in 2011. In college, he was two-time BCS National Champion, two-time SEC Champion, and a Heisman Trophy winner. Cam Newton is one of the most dynamic quarterbacks that the league has ever seen. He was what Lamar Jackson is today in the way he splits defenses, gets touchdowns, rushes the defense, and he's athletic and big build to help his team win. He's also what Michael Vick was in the early 2000s, but he's bigger and stronger than Michael Vick was. Him, Michael Vick, and Lamar Jackson are the probably the three best rushing quarterbacks that the league has ever seen. They're all big, athletic, strong, could get by any defender that they that you throw at them in the NFL. I think Cam Newton has a chance to redeem himself this year and show people what he can do again because people have really been doubting him, and it's time for him to show them what he's made up again. Cam Newton, he signed a one-year contract with the Patriots because he wanted respect. It wasn't really about the money for him. He signed a contract that was not even $550,000 for the year, and the base salary is $1.5 million, which is the minimum for a player with his experience. If he does good, he can earn an additional $6.45 million in incentives and per-game roster bonuses. But one thing I'm interested to see is how Big Belichick deals with this new group of quarterbacks that he has with Jason Stidham and Cam Newton and how he can lead them deep into the playoffs or potentially maybe another Super Bowl. And I want to see how Tom Brady does with his new weapons in Tampa Bay.
But before we get into that, we'll be right back. We back. So as we all know, Tom Brady, the former quarterback of the New England Patriots for the past two decades, has decided to leave the New England Patriots for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because he wanted a fresh start. He recently tweeted that he football will be fun again, which I think is a shot and a bit of shade thrown at his head coach for the past 20 years and Bill Belichick. It'll be interesting to see who who was really the driving force of those championships. And this upcoming NFL season, if there is one, we'll get to see the answer to that question. Will Bill Belichick lead his team deep to the playoffs? Will Tom Brady lead the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to a Super Bowl appearance or Super Bowl win? It'll be interesting to see what happens in the next year or so. The flag that Bill Belichick has been getting recently has been kind of surprising because he's a six-time Super Bowl champion with Tom Brady in nine appearances. He has the most playoff wins of any coach in NFL history. He's a three-time coach of the year, and as a defensive coordinator, he has two Super Bowl wins with the Giants. In his career, he has 304 wins and 137 losses. Tom Brady is on the Buccaneers now, so he's going to have to get used to and integrate into a whole new system with new teammates, a new coaching staff, and and new environment. Florida is not like New England. Tradition is different. The weather is hotter. It's not like... New England royalty. So we'll get to see what happens in Tampa Bay. Tom Brady's weapons in Tampa Bay will have Mike Evans, a wide receiver, one of the top wide receivers in the NFL right now. He's 6'5", 231 pounds, and has had at least 1,000 receiving yards in each of his six NFL seasons and has caught 48 touchdowns in his 90 career games. He's very similar to one of Tom Brady's former teammates in New England back in the day and he's one of the greatest wide receivers of all time and Randy Moss who also have Chris Godwin who's been struggling with injuries the past year or so but when he plays he he be, he's very effective with 86 receptions 1,333 yards and 9 touchdowns ranking him in the top 5 in the NFL last season who have his teammate Rom Kronkowski who he has won a couple Super Bowls with, who's one of the biggest, strongest tight ends that the league has ever seen, and who's a tank on the field. And we'll have Cameron Brait, who has been a reliable target for the Buccaneers as a red soda option, who's 6'5", 245 pounds, and has a match problem against many opposing defenders. He has been durable for the last few seasons, missing just one game over the last four seasons. But if Bill Belichick with Cam Newton as starting quarterback, if he's fully healthy, or even if he's not, if he's able to get the playoffs with Cam Newton or Jason Stidham as the quarterback, I think that will make him look even better and do wonders for his, even enhance his legacy even more than it already is. To be able to get to the first to the playoffs with a rookie quarterback, a fourth round draft pick. Just like he did with Tom Brady in the 2000-2001 season when he was a six-round draft pick, though. But the AFC is going to be tough. You got some teams like the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes, who I believe is the current best quarterback in the league and has some special arm talent that we haven't seen probably ever from the quarterback position. And they're the reigning Super Bowl champions with a team with Travis Kelsey, pro bowler, Tyree Kill, Pro Bowler as well, and one of the fastest wide receivers in the league. And they got Sammy Watkins and other great players on the team. But with Patrick Mahomes only 25 years old, he's going to be running the AFC for the next decade or so, although as long as he stays healthy. And you also have the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, 
who's probably what Cam Newton was in his MVP season, a big, strong quarterback who could break down the defense and give defensive opponents nightmares on the field. He could, He's getting better by throwing the fo- football every season. I feel like this past playoff experience will help the Baltimore Ravens grow as a team and bond together better with each other because, let's face it, this past season, everybody thought the Ravens were going to the Super Bowl or at least to the game before the Super Bowl, the AFC title game. But they disappointed and they choked on the pressure and lost to the less talented Tennessee Titans team. They were The Titans were just more hungrier than the Ravens during that game. The Ravens didn't seem ready for the pressure and ready for the moment. And it showed... Lamar Jackson, he might have been the unanimous MVP, but he still has some growing to do. There's always, always room for improvement. But they also have great guys on the team. And, pro, and they had record 12 Pro Bowlers this past season. That tied the record for most Pro Bowlers on one NFL team in NFL history. They have Marcus Peters, Mark Ingram, and a great front line. So I can't wait to see how the AFC shakes up this season. It'll be interesting to see. I also can't forget the Houston Texans and their superstar quarterback in Deshaun Watson, who's been killing it in the NFL since he came to the league in 2017. Deshaun Watson's one of the most electrifying quarterbacks in the NFL. He probably gets overshadowed by two other extraordinary quarterbacks who are in the same generation as him, and Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. His team, they need a better coaching staff, but if I feel if they get that, they could take the next step. And you also have the Tennessee Titans in the AFC. If they could get a better quarterback, I feel like they could take a next step further, especially after this past season and how they surprised everyone by beating the Baltimore Ravens. But next, I want to get into the Redskins and how they're talking about changing their name and what I believe will happen. But we'll be right back. Recently, FedEx, the stadium sponsor for the Washington Redskins, have paid $25 million to the Redskins in naming rights since 1998 in a deal that's supposed to run through 2025. But recently, they asked the owner, Daniel Snyder, to change the name because they believe it's insensitive and racist, and you get the point. And they, this is not the first time Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Washington Redskins, has been asked to change the name. It seems like almost every other year he's been asked to change the name for the Washington Redskins. And he has refused to for some reason. And he is a black owner, and I find it very disturbing how it doesn't offend him in any way. Especially with what's going on in the country right now. With the Black Lives Matters movement and the racial injustice social injustice, the racial profiling that we have going on in our country right now. I feel like that's probably why the NFL wants to change the name. But I feel like they should have done this a long time ago. Like, why haven't you done this all this time? They've had this name Redskins since 1933. That's almost 100 years with this name, which I find very disturbing. This is very disturbing because their main sponsors such as FedEx, Nike, and Pepsi, have each received letters from over 80 investment firms and shareholders that is worth a combined $620 billion that have asked their companies to sever ties with the team unless they want to change their controversial name. And this past Thursday, Nike made a statement that said they want to remove all Redskins gear from its online store. And the other 31 teams were listed, and a search for Redskins came up with no results. Nike did not respond to the email message that seeked comment, which is very, very interesting. So the Redskins released a statement on earlier today saying 
In light of the recent events around the country and feedback from our community, the Washington Redskins are announcing the team will undergo a thorough review of the team's name. This review formalizes the initial discussions the team has been having with the league in recent weeks. Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Washington Redskins, stated, This process allows the team to take into account not only their proud tradition and history of the franchise, but also input from our alumni, the organization, sponsors, the National Football League, and the local community it is proud to represent on and off the field. Ron Rivera, who is now the head coach of the Washington Redskins, remarked, This issue is of personal importance to me, and I look forward to working closely with Dan Snyder to make sure we continue the mission of honoring and supporting Native Americans and our military. We believe this review can and will be conducted with the best interests of all in mind. This is not the first time this controversy with the Washington Redskins has happened. The former team owner, Jack Kent Cook, said in 1988, there is not a single, solitary, jot, tittle, what chance in the world that the Redskins could change their nickname. I like the name, and it's not a derogatory name. And then a few years later, there were protesters that were picketed against the nickname at the Super Bowl in 1991. And then it slowly faded away. And then, as you know, it keeps coming back here and there. Then in 2006, there was a suit that challenged the Redskins' trademark. Amanda Blackhorse, who became the lead plaintiff in a lawsuit that challenged the trademark of the Redskins' name, saying it disparaged Native Americans. It was the second time that Blackhorse was part of a suit challenging a trademark that protected the Redskins' name. The first one was in 2005 that became unsuccessful. In 2013, Snyder did a letter to his fans that he said, Defending the name, our franchise has a great history and tradition and legacy, legacy representing our proud alumni and literally tens of millions of loyal fans worldwide. We are proud of our team and the passion of our loyal fans. Our fans sing Hail to the Redskins in celebration at every Redskins game. They speak proudly of Redskins Nation in honor of a sports team they love. Snyder will also say that the term Redskins, what it meant to him, honestly, that when he considered the Washington Redskins name, he think of what it stands for. He thought of the Redskins' tradition and pride, and that he liked to share with his three children, as his father shared with him. That's what the owner, Dan Snyder, thought in 2013. He never really wanted to change the name of the Redskins. He's always, like, put it off and said, oh, no, I'll do it another time. He never really wanted to change it. The only reason he's, cha- he's considering changing it now is because... Their sponsors that give them the money for the stadiums to put all the fans in and the way they can pull all that red in are telling them to change the name because if they don't, they won't get the money from the sponsors and they won't be able to hold the stadium. They won't have a stadium to put all their fans in to host the games and everything else. So they need to listen to what the sponsors do or what the sponsors are saying, excuse me, and change the name whether it's the I heard I heard this name earlier saying they might want to change the Washington Warriors some people said that that's probably a better name but they still some people are still offended by the symbol of the Washington Redskins they have a Native American symbol with a feather on it and the fact that it says Redskins to some people is very offensive I consider it pretty offensive in a way because how are you going to have the name Redskins and the Native American symbol on it? And there's Native, I know Native Americans will take big offense to it. So we'll see what happens in that regard. <laughs> in 2016, the Washington Post said that 90, 90% of Native Americans weren't offended of the name. Uh, a Washington Post in 2016 found that 90% of 504 respondents who were identified as Native American were not offended by the name. 7 out of 10 did not think it was disrespectful, and 8 out of 10 said they would not be offended if a non-Native American called them by that name. So I found that very interesting when I saw that. So it seems like not every Native American is offended by it. I guess it depends on who you ask and how they feel about it, how their family feels about it, and so on and so forth. With that being said, as we stick to the NFL, recently a report came out that the NFL may ask fans to sign a coronavirus liability waiver to 10 games this season. That coronavirus liability waiver will have fans to agree not to sue the NFL 
if they were responsible for them catching the coronavirus if they were to attend the game. So basically, fans will be forfeiting their right to sue the league if they were to contract the coronavirus in the stadium while attending the game. But with thousands of fans, during the pandemic won't be easy. As the NFL is trying to make things as normal as possible. The NFL has also decided to allow each team to set its own stadium capacity. Teams will be asked to set the capacity based on local health protocols and policies, which means some stadiums could have a capacity of zero. If a state bans large public gatherings, while other stadiums can have the capacity set at 50% or more. A big reason the NFL is doing everything in its power to try and make sure that fans will be able to attend games so that there is a lot of money involved. Because let's be honest, the NFL wants to get the full revenue and all the money they possibly can. The league has also estimated that if fans aren't allowed to attend games in 2020, the NFL teams, the all 32 NFL teams, will be to collect, will collectively lose out are more than $3 billion. Although NFL is taking plenty of measures to help make sure that they have, they're safe for their fans and their players, there's still plenty of questions that will have to be answered over the next three months. But until then, the league is slowly running out of time to answer all the questions that need to be answered. Me personally, I know the NFL wants to make money, but you got to think about the safety of your fans and your players. Like, you're getting money from TV revenue, endorsements, commercials. You already make so much money. And this coronavirus thing is a very serious virus, something we've never seen before. People could die from this. Like, let's let the people should just let the people stay at home and watch the game. You're still going to make all your endorsement money. You have your TV contracts. You have all of that. You have a great league that's worth billions of dollars. You don't need people coming to the games to risk their health, the safety of their themselves, their families, and risk themselves getting sick and potentially getting others in their families sick. So if I'm the NFL, I would just hold out on the waivers and just wait until there's a vaccine and or until it's safe for there to be fans in the stands again. But next, I want to get into the MLB and the NHL, its potential hub cities, and the MLB coming back. But before that, we'll be right back. Okay, so now I want to talk about the MLB and the NHL. Let's first get into the MLB. So the MLB, their commissioner, Robin Ranford, and the owners and players just recently came with an agreement to restart the MLB season and play 60 games. As most of you know, or if you don't already know, of all the major sports, the MLB has the most games in a season of any of the major sports with over 150 games played. Baseball is different from other sports because... You got to play a lot of games to determine who the real good teams are, to determine who's going to make the playoffs and a run at the World Series. So they'll, they will, MLB, they will test the players often, almost every day, unless the temperature is over 100 degrees. They, every player will be required to take their own temperatures before coming to the ballpark, and then anyone that has a fever will be told to stay away. Some players are sitting out. And we don't know how many more are going to sit out. But Mike Trout, the, probably the face of the MLB, he's hesitant on coming back because he's scared of his health concerns and he doesn't want to risk getting sick because of his family. And he's trying to start a family. So that's going to be interesting to see. He's considered the face of baseball and the best player in MLB and probably arguably in the GOAT conversation. And the MLB doesn't have him. That's gonna take. That's gonna be a big hit on the league, in my opinion. But you'll have you also have guys like Ian Desmond of the Rockies, Mike Leake of the Diamondbacks, 
along with Ryan Zimmerman and Joe Ross of the Nationals, who have all decided to opt out this season without pay. Everyone has their own different reasons why they don't want to play, whether it's risking their health or the health of a family member, or if they have a pregnant wife who's in labor right now, who's going to be in labor soon, and they want to be there for their kids. But there's so many different reasons why, because we're in a tough time right now, and nothing is certain, there's too much uncertainty, so I can understand why. The MLB will discourage their players from coming near the fans, and they don't want fans coming near the players to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. The umpires will embed themselves at each summer camp, working live bullpen sessions and intra-squad games. And for the final couple days, they will train with teams that will play with each other, bringing together six umpires for final prep before the regular season. And then they'll add three additional minor league umpires that will embed with each taxi squad and be ready in case a regular umpire gets sick or injured, whether that's from the coronavirus or having the flu or whatever injury happens. So that will be very interesting to see. Baseball will be played differently this year due to the coronavirus. All the National League games will include a designated hitter. In extra innings, each team will begin with a runner on second base. The runner will be the player in the batting order immediately preceding that half-inning leadoff hitter or pitch runner. As previously planned, all relief pitchers must face a minimum of three batters unless the inning ends. The MLB will have on opening day rosters will feature at least 30 active players that will be from each team's 60-man player pool. The active roster will be trimmed to 28 players on the 15th day of the season and then to 26 players on the 29th day. It will have no limitations on the number of pitches that they'll able to be had on one team. The teams will be committed to carry three players from their taxi squads on road trips, one who must be a catcher. The trade deadline for the MLB season will be August 31st. The postseason eligibility deadline will be September 15th. The standard injury list will be 10 and 45 days, which is separate from COVID-19 injury lists for people who test positive or have confirmed exposure to COVID-19 or exhibit symptoms requiring self-isolation. The MLB will also have a schedule regionally based with teams playing 40 games within their division to limit the amount of travel they have to do, and 20 interleague games against the corresponding geographical division. They will also be incorporating many different on-field strategies. Some things you might see this season due to all the uncertainty with the coronavirus will be short summer camp change session with starters will likely pitch fewer innings the first two or three times through the rotation. You can see different tandem starters, two starters throwing three innings in the same game, and several teams having announced they were planning to go with a six-man rotation. The Braves are a perfect example of a team that could piggyback starters because they have a deep rotation that includes Mike Soroka, Mike Fultonwitz, Cole Hamels, Max Fried, Felix, Felix Hernandez, Sean Newcomb, Kyle Wright, and Tuki Toussaint. In general, the expanded rosters for the first month expect to see a more bullpen usage. And in the shortened season, the importance of every game means managers have to rely heavily on their best relievers as they don't have to worry about much about having to keep them fresh for six months and then the playoffs. The extra roster spots at the start of the season means you can have more pitch running and defense defensive replacement types used as bench players, a class that has largely disappeared in the past couple of decades. But you'll also be able to have an extra inning Base runner rule in particular means having a speed player on the bench would be valuable. But it hasn't always been a smooth ride to get the MLB to restart. During these whole three, four months layoff due to coronavirus, the MLB has struggled to come to an agreement until recently. And people have really blamed the commissioner, Rob Manford, for the disagreement between the owners and the players. Unlike most sports, well, mostly the MLB and NFL, but MLB to more of a degree. The players and owners can't really seem to come up with a agreement often. They always look the opposite way. They never could just come together and talk things out to help improve the sport. This is why the MLB has kind of like deteriorated over the years and people aren't as interested in it because it's still, they stick to their history. They don't try to 
re-innovate and change things to make the game more appealing and interesting to the younger generation and to the modern era like the NBA has done, always willing to adapt and reinvent itself. And the NFL, which is probably the most exciting sport in America right now. The NFL and NBA are king right now because they're willing, especially the NBA, because they're willing to reinvent themselves and adapt to modern times and with the younger generation. Unlike the MLB, who stay stuck in this past, they call America's pastime for a reason because they're not willing to adapt and change with the times. <clears throat> That's why baseball's popularity over the last few decades, especially this century, has kind of dropped. Unlike basketball and football, which has continued to be popular or rise over the years. Especially basketball has is popular worldwide along with soccer. Unlike the MLB. The MLB needs to find a way to adapt and change with the times or they're really going to suffer and continue to suffer over the years to come. Even Derek Jeter, the Hall of Fame, all-time great Yankee and baseball player, and now CEO of the Marlins for the MLB, he even said, there's no trust, I should say, is the best way to put it. He even said, it's pretty sad to see the back and forth being played out publicly in a time like now. You have so many people filing for unemployment, throughout our country with over 30 million, 30 million people and 40 million people with no jobs. They don't want to hear no owners and players going back and forth about how much money they deserve and how much money they need. He said, I get it. Look, I was a player. I feel as though players should fight for everything that they feel as though they should have. And I'll always support them in that sense. But in this particular case, I think something should have been done behind the scenes. There is no winner. It seems like sometimes people are trying to win a PR battle and ultimately, it's going to be the sort that's going to suffer. And he even also said, I understand that look, there are negotiations, and people are going to have a difference of opinion, and that's fine, he said. That happens in every industry, but just hope that moving forward, there's little trust build, and you have some civil negotiations. Even the great Derek Jeter, who loves baseball, and is one of the great, their great players, has even said the same thing I'm saying. The friction that lies between the owners and the players always disagreeing on salaries has held the sport back and hasn't allowed it to reach its full potential at, that it can in the modern era. If they could put their egos aside, it could help and help improve the sport. And if they're willing to be open and willing to new ideas, it could probably lead a younger generation to watch the sport more. Because to be honest, me personally, I don't like baseball. I was born in 2000. Baseball to me is one of the boringest sports to watch. I personally don't like it because you really just most of the most of the time they're really just standing there and you wait for the pitch to throw the ball and they hit the bat and then they move. Like basketball, you're constantly moving back and forth. You see the players; they market their players very well. Like LeBron James, everyone knows who LeBron James is. Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Michael Jordan's, the Kobe Bryant's. A lot of people know who those guys are because NBA markets its players very well individually. They do a great job of letting the public know who their stars are. MLB, not a lot of people outside of baseball heads know who Mike Trout is. I I know who Mike Trout is because he's that good. When you're that good, people outside the interest of the sport you play in know who you are. I don't know baseball like that, and I know who Mike Trout is. I know he's amazing. That's how transcendent he is. But other than him, I know Aaron Judge because he's from the New York Yankees, and he's really good. He has a cracked rib right now and needs to get healthy for the team to play well, but I know who he is. But yeah, the MLB, they need to do a better job of marketing their stars so we could get a sense of their personalities, who they are, so we could, so they could appeal to us. They could draw the fans' attention, attract us to the sport, and then they'll get more viewers that way. But they don't, really, they don't do that like other sports, like the NBA, the NFL do. The NFL, they market their players. Maybe not as good as the NBA, but they're marking them good enough where you know who they are. The Patrick Mahomes, the Tom Brady's, Aaron Rodgers, Saquon Barkley's, like Lamar Jackson. You know who these guys are because they do a pretty good job marketing themselves with all the TV revenue and TV endorsement deals that they get. That's one thing I think that movie could improve on. And Derek Jeter pretty much said it himself. So hopefully over they learn their lesson and they can hopefully start marketing their players the right way to help grow the sport and make it more popular for modern times. And with their CBA agreement ending 2021, maybe they could talk about how they can market their players better to help appeal to the masses. 
all the people around the country to help grow the game. With their CBA expiring in 2021, I think that's what they should be talking about. And we come up with a better relationship between the owners and the players. Because I feel like that's what's holding the game back to reach its full potential. But now, let's get into the National Hockey League, the NHL. So the NHL has been talking about resuming its season in two potential hub cities that are not part of this country, the United States of America. They're talking about doing it in Toronto and Edmonton later this summer. They plan on starting July 30th or 31st, so later this month. So the players, they haven't decided on a final vote yet on return to play, which isn't expected until probably later in the week or so. But they're also having discussions about an extension of the collective bargaining agreement. Las Vegas, which was a potential spot they had a reason, reasonably thought for NHL's return, they they downplayed that because in recent days, the league's players became spooked by the positive cases that happened in Nevada, as well as several other U.S. states. As of June 30th, there are over 18,400 cases of COVID-19 in Nevada with over 500 deaths, with the state reporting its five highest days for coronavirus cases in the past week. The NHL initially hoped to pick one Canadian city and one American city for its hubs. The NHL believed it was best to host the games in Canada because it was cheaper to do the games in Canada. And with the cases rising in America again, they didn't think it was best for its players to risk their health playing in America or all the cases rising in most of the states in America. I thought, I think personally, it's best to do it in Canada, especially with all the cases rising in most of the states in the United States. And they were, and I think it's a minor victory for the league because they were projected to lose over $1 billion this year. The league also favored having Las Vegas until they recently had a spike in cases because it had a long-standing relationship with the city and there were plenty of luxury hotel options that were close near the T-Mobile arena where the NHL felt comfortable that it could create a strong bubble environment. Where the NBA, they have a bubble in Orlando that they thought, when Disney World, they thought would be a safe bubble. So... That'll be interesting to see how that works out. And today, recently, the NHL just announced that they have an additional nine players that tested positive for COVID-19, which has reached now a total of 35 players who have tested positive for the virus. And half of the players in the league have reported to a team facility so far, with chain and camp scheduled to open next week. So it's starting to seem... I'm starting to feel sketchy of the NHL season starting because more and more players are testing positive. You're going to have a lot of people testing positive in all these major sports because testing before wasn't as available as it is now. So maybe people had virus this whole time and they never were able to get tested because there wasn't enough availability of tests. So uh, hopefully they get their season up and running. Let's just pray for the best and hope the NHL season gets to finish their season and crown a Stanley Cup winner. But coming up next, I want to get into more on the NBA's restart and the latest NBA news. I also want to get into J.R. Smith signing with the Lakers and who I who is facing the most pressure in this upcoming NBA restart. Before we get into that, we'll take a quick break. Let's get on with the NBA. So we, as we all know, or those of you who don't know, the NBA will be restarting its season July 30th, later this month. And players have started to go to the facilities to practice, get some shots up, try to get back into game shape. And players and teams are supposed to be leaving for Orlando for in the next few days or so, or next week, separately. Each different teams will be leaving different days to socially distance themselves. So not all teams are leaving the same day. But recently, there has been some teams to close their facilities due to positive tests, such as the Bucks closing their facilities and the Sacramento Kings, the Los Angeles Clippers because they had a test, someone tested positive for the coronavirus. And I think Landry Shamit, the guard for the Clippers, he's one of the 
people who tested positive for the coronavirus. Uh, I'm I'm kind of iffy and sketchy on if they'll finish their season. I'm hoping NBA will finish their season because I want to see a champion crowd in this season. I don't want it to go down the history books the only year there wasn't a champion crowned in the league's history. That league leave a big asterisk and what if for this season and in NBA history. This, like, a title does wonders for a player's legacy. I want to see the season concluded and them taking a big risk. Risking their spending time with their family and their health to finish their season. So I want to see everything work out and I hope the NBA is able to, to conclude their season. But next, I want to talk about the Lakers and the recent signing in J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith is one of the best bad shot makers and bad shot takers that the league has ever seen. He he can be he's a very streaky player, but when he gets hot, he's hot. But when he's cold, he's cold. He's one of the most streaky players the league has probably ever seen. He's played for Denver, Denver Nuggets with Carmelo Anthony, Chauncey Billups, and when they had Allen Iverson. He's played for the New York Knicks with Melo in that trade to New York. They both went in that trade to New York in 2010-11 season. He was really good on Denver and New York Knicks. And then he played with LeBron James, Cleveland Cavaliers, where they won the championship in 2016. The historic comeback against the Warriors, coming back down 3-1. He played a huge part on that team. And now, and he's been out the league since November 2018 because he didn't want to be on the Cavaliers anymore because they were losing. And LeBron recently just departed from the Cavaliers during that time for the Lakers to help build his brand and have his kids go to school in Los Angeles. So he wanted to go to a contender to have a chance to win instead of wasting his his prime, his last twilight years on a bad team. So he's just been working out, trying to keep his body in shape until he got a chance. And then now he, he recently got his chance with the Lakers, but Avery Bradley decided not to play because he doesn't want to risk the health of his son who has a respiratory problem. So he doesn't want to risk getting the virus and then bring it back to his son, which could really affect him. So... They had an open roster spot available, and they grabbed J.R. Smith. I was, I'm kind of interested to see how that's going to work because the Lakers, they already have a lot of shooting guards on their roster. They have KCP, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who's not as good offensively or creating a shot like J.R. Smith, but he's a good defender. He could get hot when he he's streaky too, but there's times he could get hot. But he's mostly... He's mostly known as a defender. They have Danny Green, the sharp spot-up shooter who won the championship with the Raptors last year, who has championship pedigree and experience, and he won the championship in 2014 on the Spurs when they beat LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh on the Miami Heat. Danny Green, he I think he's a, he's a starting shooting guard for the Lakers. He fits very well with them because he can space the floor. He doesn't need the ball in his hands. He comes off screens. He's a great defender, and he's a pretty and he's a great team player, and he's a pretty good passer. So I think J.R. Smith will most likely come off the bench. I don't see him starting over J. Um, Danny Green. He'll probably be the third shooting guard in the rotation because they have Rondo at point guard, and J.R. Smith's not a point guard, and they have Alex Caruso who brings great energy and defense off the bench. So I think. J.R. Smith will be best served to come off the off the bench. I think the Lakers signed J.R. Smith because him and LeBron are boys. They have history together in Cleveland. They've been they were they went to the finals with each other probably what three times in Cleveland? Three times, four times. I forgot what year J.R. Smith went to the Cleveland Cavaliers, but he was there for a while with LeBron. And that twenty sixteen season, that magical season where they beat the greatest regular season team ever in the Golden State Warriors with Stephen Curry, Klay Thompson, Andre Iguodala, Draymond Green. <clears throat> that team was a powerhouse. They got, they moved the ball beautifully. They had the two greatest shooters probably of all time, the greatest shooting backcourt of all time. And that team with LeBron, Kyrie, Jared Smith, Kevin Love, those were probably the four best players on the team. Wilder team coming back down 3-1. To win the championship in historic fashion. 
And I, so I think that's why the Lakers probably signed Darius Smith because he knows how to play with LeBron. He knows what LeBron likes. And LeBron knows how where Darius Smith likes to shoot the ball, where he likes his spots, where he's hot from. So I think that's why they signed him. But now let's get into the teams and players who are facing the most pressure in this upcoming NBA restart. I'm not going to go in any order, but one of the teams I'll say that's facing a lot of pressure in this NBA restart is the Los Angeles Clippers. Clippers, I say, they're facing a lot of pressure because coming into this season, everybody thought they'll be challenging the Lakers and that they had the deepest roster of any team in the NBA, especially in the Western Conference, considering people think the Western Conference is the best conference in the NBA for the past probably decade. So probably the deepest team in the league. They have a whole bunch of bodies and players, great players who can play defense, guard multiple guys, multiple positions. They have two great lead dogs in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Kawhi Leonard, I'll say, I'm not saying, I'm not, I don't think he's facing a ton of pressure because he's proven he's, he could win and be the top guy. I mean, he proved that San Antonio, to a lesser degree, he proved it because he had three Hall of Famers on his team with Tony Parker, Maginobi, and Tim Duncan. Those are three of probably the greatest players ever and greatest players of all time right there. And he had help, and he was a young pup. He wasn't really a full star yet, but he proved his worth over the next few years, showing he could lead a team deep to the playoffs. And then when he got traded to the Raptors, he was the lead dog that led the Raptors and had a historic playoff run last year. And his efficiency last year was amazing. Even though he beat a beat-down Golden State Warriors team, that its roster was depleted with injuries to Kevin Durant, Terrence Achilles, Klay Thompson, Terrence ACL in Game 6 of the Finals on that fast break. And he had DeMarcus Cousins, who wasn't himself because he was coming off a torn Achilles injury. He was rehabbing that whole season and had to come back right into the playoffs and the finals. That's not. It's just because you don't have your full conditioning yet. So he beat a depleted Warriors team, in my view. I still count his rings, but let's be honest. He beat a depleted Warriors team. I I, I think this year he has some pressure on him because I want to see him versus a team at its full strength. Might not be because of the coronavirus, but with its main star players on the team and see how he does when he's the number one guy. That's why I think he's kind of facing some pressure, but he's already proven he can win. And this will be his third ring with a third different team. If him or LeBron win this year, they'll be the first players ever to win three rings with a different team. Three championships, lead three different franchises to a championship as the lead dog. So that'll be amazing to add to the legacies, whether he does it first or LeBron James does it first. And I think one of them are going to win it. It just depends who. Paul George, his team, I think, is facing pressure because he called himself Playoff P, but he usually doesn't show up in the playoffs by most analysts' um, responses, such as Gabe Bayless, who makes fun of him <laughs> for calling himself Playoff P, but he doesn't really show up in the playoffs. Paul George, I think, is facing pressure because he needs to show he could do it in the playoffs and be one of the top two guys on the team to help his team get deep into the playoffs. This is, I think this is Paul George. I think he's the best chance to win a championship this year. You got got Kawhi Leonard, who's one of the greatest players of all time and great greatest two-way players of all time on your side. He'll take some pressure off you. He'll probably switch with you every now and then, guard the best player, because you guys are both around the same size. Kawhi's a little bit bigger and stronger than you, so he could guard multiple positions as well. Like if you were playing Lakers, for example, LeBron James, you guys could both take turns guarding LeBron or AD because you guys could guard multiple positions. Paul George, if he's healthy, like if we if they have the Paul George from last season, MVP, see his MVP type year in Oklahoma City where he was playing out of his mind, averaging over 28 a game, I think they have a legit chance to win the championship. A very legit chance of winning the championship. Because when Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, if you have those two going on your team, it's it's going to be very hard to stop. And you have a Montrez Harrell who gives you 15 and like 12 every game. It's going to be very hard to stop that team. 
another team I want to say is facing a lot of pressure. Another LA team, the Los Angeles Lakers. It's, this isn't a surprise. Lakers, now that they had a lot of rest, they're saying they they feel fully healthy. They don't think anyone could beat them. I personally want the Lakers to win. They're my top team to win it all this year. But LeBron James and Anthony Davis, probably the best duo in the league right there. That's why I think they're facing a lot of pressure. And they haven't won a championship in over a decade. And this will be LeBron's leading a third different franchise to a championship, like I said before. This will, that will do wonders for his legacy. He led the Miami Heat to two championships back-to-back in 2012 and 13. He led the Cavaliers to a historic 3-1 comeback against the Warriors in 2016 with the block. And that's probably his greatest ring. And then if he's able to do it this year, I'll lead the Lakers, the third franchise, to championship. If LeBron's able to get this ring, it'll, do, it'll probably give him more firepower in the argument against him and Michael Jordan and meet most people's mind. And it'll be like, oh, he might not say, oh, he doesn't have the same amount of ring as Jordan, but he led three different franchises. He's shown he could go anywhere and win pretty much his whole career. You can surround LeBron with anyone. He pretty much leads that cast to the playoffs. Like, look at that 07 team he led to the finals. Even though they got swept by the Spurs, he had no help at all. He was only 23, led that team of bums to the playoffs. To the finals. Forget the playoffs. He led to the finals. LeBron is top three of all time. I don't think he's facing too much pressure, but... And then I think they're facing pressure, the Lakers, because with the death of Kobe Bryant... I want to see them get that ring this year. And all this COVID stuff going on, racial injustice, and the death of their Laker legend, Kobe Bryant. I want to see because they've been through a lot this season, especially the Lakers. The NBA, the whole world has been through a lot this year, but the Lakers and the, and the NBA, they've been through a lot, especially with the tragic death of Kobe. It'll be great to get a championship for his legacy and say this one is for Kobe. I would love to see that. I feel like AD's facing pressure, too, because he hasn't, like, he was on New Orleans on a bad team, and people saying, oh, he can't lead his team to win, because he was on New Orleans for seven years, only made the playoffs what, twice, and he only got the per- fast the first round once in, what, 2017, 2018 season when they beat the Damian Lillard Portland Trailblazers. <clears throat> he needs to show he could win. He, he didn't have a lot of help in New Orleans. So if he could... He's facing pressure. He needs to show he can, he can win. Help be one of the top guys on a winning team. Because he has the talent. Anthony Davis has been killing since he's been in the league. He is the best big man in my opinion. And the best two-way big man in my opinion in the league. If he could start winning some championships, it will help his legacy and help move him up the list of greats. Because he's climbing that list. It, it's just a matter of winning. It's how high he's going to climb on that list. If he could win more... He's going to skyrocket up that risk because his skill set and talent already speaks enough for itself. That's why I think Anthony Davis is facing pressure. Another guy in Eastern Conference, I want to go Giannis Antetokounmpo. After they lost to the Raptors last year, 2-0, people say they were up 2-0 in the Raptors in Eastern Conference Finals. It looked like they were going to the Finals, and then they lost four straight to the Kawhi Leonard-led Raptors when they they built that wall. To prevent him from go driving to the paint, which what he loves to do, that's his main strength. He's not really a great outside shooter yet, even though he's improved this year. They built that wall to stop him, and it showed last year. He struggled mightily in that series. He's facing pressure this year because they came up short last year when they probably should have went to the finals last year and won against that depleted Warriors team. He he's grown this year and he's been playing better this year, so. The pressure on him and his team is higher this year. And I feel like the top clock is ticking on his time in Milwaukee if he can't win a championship sooner or later because he's supposed to be a free agent in the summer of 2021. And if if he doesn't feel like Milwaukee can help him get to a championship or to the finals at least, and he feel like he's not going to have enough help, I definitely could see him leaving. Even though he seems like he'll probably stay and a loyal guy because they took a chance on him when nobody knew him. And before he was a star in 2013, I feel like he'll he'll leave Milwaukee to go to a team that can help him win championships and add to his legacy. 
Because Giannis is one of the, probably, he's probably something we've never seen before in the NBA. A 6'11 guy like him who could literally guard every position. But yeah, I think the Bucks they're facing pressure this year, especially after last year. How they were this close to being in the finals. They had a taste of it, and then they let up. Now that they have that experience to fall back on, and they know what to do and improve on, I think they, they know how to get there now, so they're going to be facing pressure. I also want to say Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, the Sixers, facing pressure this year. They they lost to the Toronto Raptors last year on that buzzer beater shot by Kawhi Leonard that bounced and rattled in. That was heard around the world. That felt like it was on the rim for like five seconds forever. And then dropped in that deep them. I feel like they're facing pressure this year because Embiid was crying last year when they lost. When he walked back to the locker room, I felt like he was going to come back with a vengeance this year because you saw the pain and hurt on his face. You could tell he was going to work hard at the upcoming, this past all season because the pain you saw on his face. He was going to come back in better shape, everything. Ben Simmons would come back with a better jump shot, spread the floor better. But they've been kind of a disappointment this year with Embiid being having scoring. He's averaging less in points and blocks this year than he was last year. And he, he didn't come in the best shape. And he scored zero points against the Raptors earlier this year. And people were starting to question the Sixers. And Ben Simmons, has he's kind of stagnated in his development. He hasn't really shown, he hasn't really shown improvement in his jump shot. He needs to have more confidence in his jump shot. Those two, I feel like they need to run the pick and roll more because they're both 6'10 and up. Ben Simmons needs to have more confidence in his jump shot. And Bede needs to play in the post a little bit more. He doesn't have to be in the post all the time, but I feel like he should use his strength and his body because he's a big guy and can use that strength because no one could guard him. And Bede could shoot the three, put the ball on the floor, bang down low. He's one of the best bigs in the NBA as well. They need to feature him in the post more. Brett Brown, the coach, he needs to find a way to make it work between those two because he has the talent on that team. He needs to find a way as the coach to make it work. I feel like he's been a little disappointing too. You got two transcendent talents in Simmons and Embiid of the next generation. If you don't win a couple champions with those two, then it's going to be a big disappointment. And they, I feel like they have the talent to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, but I don't think they will because they're still not fully mature yet. So, we'll see how that goes. The next team I want to get into is the Denver Nuggets. They're facing some pressure, but like the Jazz Nuggets, I feel like they're facing some pressure because they're good teams, but they're like they're not on the top echelon. I feel like they feel like they're missing something, like the like teams like the Clippers and Lakers have. They have that surefire superstar who's been there, like Denver Nuggets. They have a great player in Nikola Jokic, one of the, probably the, arguably the best center in the game. I'll probably put him second or third best big in the game along with Anthony Davis and Joel Embiid. But he's not as good defensively as either of them. But he's the best passing big man probably I've ever seen, and he can shoot it. He's reportedly been diagnosed with a positive test in the coronavirus. So I don't know if he's going to be able to play. But if he's not able to play, their chances plummet quickly. They have no chance of making a deep playoff run because they don't really have a second guy. Jamal Murray is good, but he hasn't really shown to be consistent. He hasn't shown he could be that consistent second star. And I feel like this past year or two, Gary Harris, he's worse this year than he was last year. He's gotten worse. Will Barton's a good, solid player, but he's not a star. And Nikola Jokic, he needs that second star. Like They have a great deep team in Denver. Mike Malone's a great coach. I feel like he needs to play Michael Porter Jr. more because that kid has talent and potential to be a star in this league. 6'10 guy, he's been compared to Kevin Durant, but you need to get him the time and the minutes so he could get reps and experience to help improve his game. I feel like he could be that second star they need along with Jokic to take them to win titles one day, but he needs to let him loose. I feel like Murray's more of a third guy than a second guy. Like He, he could be hot and cold too, Murray. I need to see I need to see more consistency from him before I believe the Nuggets could be a true championship contender. Next I want to talk about the Jazz. The Jazz have Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. I feel like they're good, but I don't think they're a championship contender until they get another piece, another third star. I don't think that those two alone are enough. 
I think the Houston Rockets, with James Harden and Russell Westbrook are facing a lot of pressure, especially James Harden. He's been known over the past, in his career pretty much, to choke in the playoffs. He was a sixth man on the Oklahoma City Thunder in 2012, and he did not play well in the finals at all. Even though he was a young player, I won't count that really against him because he was a young player. But ever since he's gone to the Rockets and he's been the main guy, he's he's choked. Like, like in 2017 against the Spurs, I don't I don't know what I don't know what who that was. I don't know. I, I, I was not James Harden. Even Stephen A. Smith said it. He had to look up. He had to put out an APB for James Harden. Like that's how bad it was. And last year they had a chance. Even though I won't say he, I don't say he really choked because he he played he played all right. I feel like he could have played a little better, but I'm not going to blame him losing to the Warriors because CP3 went out with the hamstring injury in Game 6. They were this close to being the Warriors in 2018. This close with Kevin Durant as well. They were that close to being that Warriors team with Kevin Durant, healthy Kevin Durant. That team was dangerous, man. They had a real chance. If Man, James Harden, and then he's had a few other playoff chokes, but... I think he he's facing probably the most pressure of any star player in in the in the whole NBA restart because he's in his prime but he's in he's 30 now. He's not getting any younger. I know his play style. He he doesn't have to rely on athleticism cuz he's crafty. He could be good till he's 35, 36. Yeah, he he's one of the greatest players the league's ever seen in great scores. But for him to really rise in the all-time ranking list, he needs to get a championship. That will do wonders for his legacy. Because people would be debating Dwayne Wade or James Harden. I still say Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade has rings. And he's he could he averaged over 30 in the season as well. But he's a way better defender than James Harden was. Has ever been in his entire career. Dwayne Wade, Dwayne Wade was a tremendous two-way player. People forget. Like the high even if James Harden gets a ring, and I, he's facing a lot of pressure in his career to get a ring. I don't I don't think I'll ever put him over Dwayne Wade. Even if he gets a ring. Because D-Wade has three of them, and he had won the, his first ring. He had the, one of the greatest finals performances ever in 06 in historic fashion, coming back, winning four straight games after the Mavericks went up 2-0 in that series with Dirk Nowitzki. And they came back, he came back and won an average over 35 points per game that series. Dwayne, like James Harden, if he wants to really move up the all-time rankings list, all-time ranking list he needs to get a ring in his career. And his teammate Russell Westbrook as well. People have said he 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 can't win. You can't win with him as your point guard. He he hasn't gotten past the first round of the playoffs since Kevin Durant left Oklahoma City Thunder. So he's facing a lot of pressure as well. He needs to show he can win and that the team that he's on, he can lead that team to at least the West Conference Finals, the NBA Finals, something like that. Because since Kevin Durant left in 2016 for the Warriors, when he was on that OKC team, he never let them pass the first round. Even when they had... Paul George and Carmelo Anthony, and those two stars right there, he still didn't get past the first round. And I love Westbrook, but he never did. And when they they had chances, when Kevin Durant was there in 2016 to reach the finals, when they were up three one to the Golden State Warriors, but him and Kevin Durant came up short, losing three straight games. Just like the Warriors led up three one to the Cavs in the finals, same thing the War the Thunder did to the Warriors. They let the Warriors come back three down three one. In the 2016 Western Conference Finals, and Game Six, Clay Thompson went off on that team. That was the Clay game. Uh, yeah, like Westbrook, he's had his fair share of not so hot pl- and choking playoff moments as well. But you can't blame that whole 2016 meltdown on him. Kevin Durant was a main part probably of them because Kevin Durant is their best player, was their best player. Kevin Durant is better than Westbrook, but Westbrook. He's facing pressure as well as James Harden because he needs to show he can win, that you can win with him. You can win a championship with these two players. These two players are some of the most polarizing players that basketball has ever seen. It's some of the most exciting players that basketball has ever seen. James Harden with his craftiness and scoring ability, Russell Westbrook with his ferociousness and explosive ability. I would love to see them get a ring, but they have a, they're have they facing a lot of pressure. And, and with Mike D'Antoni... He likes to play a strict offensive system. Uh, yeah, they like to play that five seconds or less offense. And he doesn't really like to be innovative and change the system because it hasn't really... Like, he's made deep playoff runs, but he's never made the finals. Not even when Steve Nash and the Suns 
that deep Suns team, he never made the finals, even though they made three Western Conference finals trips. So I want to see what the Rockets do in this restart. The Mavericks, I don't think they're facing a lot of pressure. Luka Doncic and Christopher Zengis, they haven't either one of them been in the playoffs yet, and they're both super young. So I don't think they're facing a lot of pressure. I don't don't think anyone's expecting them to make it deep. Maybe in a few years when they have more experience and they continue to grow as stars. Yes. But now, no. But that's my thoughts on who I think is facing the most pressure in this upcoming NBA restart. And I just want to thank you guys if you get to this point. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. I still don't know what day. Every week or so, I'm going to do an episode, but I'm going to try to keep figuring out what day works best for me. But until then, I'm going to try to be consistent as possible and try to upload an episode at least every week or week and a half. But thank you guys for listening. It's your boy DJ. Till next time.